0: You're listening to the Health Call Radio Hour, where doctors, researchers, authors, nutritionists, and top health professionals share the latest news about staying well and living better. The information you hear today is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, but it's always timely, credible, interesting, and best of all, there's never a copay. Now, here's your host, health and wellness correspondent, Lee Kelso. Thank you so much for tuning in. It is great to have you here. Normally on this program, we focus on feeling your best and aging well. But today, we're going to fast forward to the end of our golden years and take a look at what happens when life slips away through the eyes of a hospice nurse. Hadley Vlejos has been with thousands of patients in their final hours, and she tells many of their stories in a new book called The In-Between, unforgettable encounters during life's final moments. Now, I've been very fortunate. I've not had much deathbed experience, so I was fascinated by some of what you're about to hear, and I think you will be too. First, the book title, The In-Between. I asked Hadley to explain exactly what that means.
1: Basically, the in-between, since I am a hospice nurse, I'm with people in their final months, hours, days of life. I find that people in the last week or so go in between whatever comes next, the afterlife, I'd say, and our world, almost like they have one foot in each world, and I'm there with them in the in-between.
0: So is it... Is this a scary time for people or what's your sense of how they're approaching the end of their lives?
1: So people kind of go through phases like when they first come on hospice, sometimes they're a little bit resistant to it, of course, and they might not like it. They might be a little bit scared. And as we move through it and as people get closer to death and as they start to see their deceased loved ones, they usually are very at peace and very calm.
0: Now, you said that just like it's no big deal. They see their deceased loved ones. How common is that?
1: It's very common. And that's how I felt whenever I first went into it, whenever all the hospice nurses was like, yeah, this happens all the time. I was like, what in the world? Like, this is not medicine, but it is. And we do see it all the time.
0: Describe that for me. What what are people telling you they see your experience?
1: Yeah. So usually whenever I arrive, it'll be the caregiver or the spouse who says, you know, they've been talking to someone who's been deceased for a while, or they say that they're seeing them and I'll go in and I'll ask them and they say it very matter of fact, like, of course, like if I were to say, yes, I'm speaking to Lee right now, like, can, can you not see Lee? And then they're also talking to me, which I find very interesting, but it's very peaceful.
0: So they're actually seeing that person, they're in the room with them. Yes. Do you ever get a sense of that? Do you ever feel like there's another presence?
1: No, I don't.
0: Isn't that interesting? What are those conversations about?
1: They can be about anything. Sometimes they're catching up. A lot of times they'll tell them that they're going on a trip. I've had a patient say that, you know, um, my mom who is deceased told me that I need to get my rest because we're about to go on a long trip. And I said, oh, really? And he said, yeah, we're gonna go this weekend. And he, he did die that weekend.
0: You know, I, this is not the first I've heard of that. My brother-in-law is a radiation oncologist who specialized in pediatric oncology and brain cancer. And he said children often report that grandpa's here or something of that nature, but it's I had no idea it was that common. So, uh, Is it they come and they go? They're there all the time? Give me a sense of what that experience entails.
1: So I'm not really sure if they come or go because when people are at that point, they're usually sleeping the vast majority of the day, about 20 hours a day on average. So we're only getting to talk to them during those three or four hours a day that they're awake. So I suspect that they stay with them, but I'm not able to talk to them and know the entire time.
0: How do you, are you sure this isn't, I, many of your patients I'm sure are on medications, painkillers, that type of thing. Are you, Are we sure this isn't the effects of the drugs working?
1: I get that question all the time and I totally, totally understand it. So I have patients who see deceased loved ones who never take a single medication other than maybe a Tylenol. Um, I have patients, morphine is the one that the general consensus people think that that's what it might be. But I have patients who have like COPD who have been on morphine for years who mm-hmm. have it. We're not increasing their dose. We're just still giving it. Um, and this, I have seen side effects of morphine before that causes hallucinations. And it's distressing. It's spiders on the bed. It's a snake on the wall. And these are not distressing or concerning for them.
0: Wow. It's peaceful. They welcome the visit. That's so interesting. Yeah. Is it typically, I hate to keep driving on this, but it's so interesting. Is it more than one relative or is it always kind of just one person who comes along?
1: No, it can be more than one.
0: Wow. Huh. And what do they tell you about the other side? Do they see across to the other side?
1: They usually kind of don't know. They're just like, yeah, um, my mom's here. You know, I've had people whose children who passed before them have come back. To get mm. them, and it's just like they're there in the room. And I try to ask questions, but also try to respect that this is sacred for them, and not let my curiosities uh, get in the way of that. I'd love and to this, just ask all the questions, though.
0: <laughs> oh, I know. I'd be so driven. I'd, I'd I would have to probe. And is there a religious component to this? Do you see this in you know people who maybe aren't all that spiritual?
1: So, when I first heard of this, that is what I thought it was. I was like, okay, these people w- were raised this way, believe this way, and that's what they've been conditioned to think. But no, I've had atheists whose loved ones come to get them any and all religions and non religions. It's all the same. Wow.
0: Fascinating. Well, I guess we have that in common and that to look forward to. So, who is your book really for?
1: It's for anyone who has lost a loved one, especially people who have been through the hospice experience, who have had experiences like this. And they were like, oh, that was kind of weird that, you know, my deceased brother came to get my dad. um, But you don't think anything of it. And I think that hearing that this does happen to other people can be helpful and may give it meaning. And, you know, anyone who's going through grief or maybe even is scared of death, I think it can really help whenever you really understand that it's not as scary as a lot of people think it is.
0: Yeah, I want to talk more about uh, misconceptions about death. But so you know, I, from what I read, your, your book is interesting. It's a collection of stories of your experiences with various patients over the six years you've been a hospice nurse. Help people understand what that role is and how that's different from your training as a nurse.
1: Yeah, it's very different from my training as a nurse. The biggest thing is that we go to people's homes. Um, For some people, their home isn't a nursing home or an assisted living, but we go to them. They're not coming to us in a hospital. And it's different. I mean, you can't help but have a different type of relationship with someone when you're meeting their pets and you're surrounded by their memories on their wall and, you know, their families and everything. And it's just, it's different in that regard. And I really like that. And then Our goals are different. Our goal is just whatever the patient wants to make them comfortable. And in a lot of instances in healthcare, we really take the lead and we say, this is what we're going to do, or this is what we recommend, and here's the plan. And we take a back seat uh, in hospice and we say, what do you want? What can we do to help you? And I think it's beautiful.
0: So what are the important questions that I need to resolve if I'm facing end of life?
1: I think the biggest things that you can start to think about is what do I want to leave behind? I think a lot of people find themselves thinking that and saying, you know, what do I want my kids to know? What do I want them to remember me by? And whenever people can ask themselves that and then think about it and really relay it, I think it really helps not only the patient, but also the family. Um, mm-hmm. But in a technical sense, um, having you know your end of life wishes in place is so important. You know, advance care planning and a power of attorney. It, I know, it seems so mundane, and oh yeah, I'll do that one day. But I mean, I have end of life wishes in writing. I, it can make or break an experience for family.
0: Hadley is the mother of two young children, so yes, yeah, she has good reason to plan ahead, but. I guess then again, don't we all? When we come back, we'll find out whether people face fear as the clock ticks down, and you may be surprised to hear you have more control over when you pass than you'd ever imagine. Plus, how she hopes to make life better for family members caring for a loved one during those important last days. We have more with hospice nurse and author Hadley Vlejas when we come back here on the Health Call Radio Hour.
1: You're listening to the Health Call Radio Hour, your regular weekend appointment with top healthcare professionals, where every session is
0: painless and we never keep you waiting. Now, back to health and wellness correspondent Lee Kelso. Welcome back. Today, we're getting a first hand look at the final minutes of life, talking with Hadley Vlejos. She's a hospice nurse and author of a new book called The In Between Unforgettable Encounters During Life's Final Moment. Now, I have to tell you, when Hadley's book arrived at my house, my wife snagged it right away and she dove right in. She has been fascinated. The profiles that Hadley writes about her patients really are interesting. And what struck me is how Hadley says many of us seem to be able to control just when we let go and enter the beyond.
1: Yeah, it's very interesting. Most people are very calm um, mentally and... People do seem to be able to control their death. It's the wildest thing. I always say that we can't choose when we go to sleep at night, but people seem to be able to control their time of death. And Hmm. I see it both ways because I've had people say, well, but why didn't my dad wait? And I find that people who are a little bit more reserved in their personality will actually wait for people to leave so that they are not dying in front of others. And then people who are a little bit more extroverted sometimes will wait until someone arrives.
0: You know, we had exactly that experience. My father-in-law had a stroke and was in hospice care and he was sedated, medicated the whole way through. And we were with him for, somebody was there in vigil, I, I think almost 10 days. And finally the hospice doctor said, you know, he can't let go if you're still here. So isn't that interesting? You confirm that. It's very that.
1: interesting. It's wow. very interesting.
0: What do people misunderstand about those last moments?
1: A lot of people think that it's very quick. I I hear that a lot. People think that it's just, oh, okay, you know, the bright light comes and you're gone and it's very yeah. quick, but in reality, like you said, 10 days dying can be kind of a slow process. Mm-hmm. Um and we, we go through all of these stages of it. And hospice is for people with six months or less to live, but we could be less than that. But I've had people for up to a year. And the entire process of dying is really about a month before it actually happens it when, is when it starts.
0: What is a sign that death is imminent?
1: For imminent, we'll see people be unconscious. Um, their arms and legs turn blue. And their breathing has long pauses between it.
0: Tell me about this surge or the rally experience. Have you seen that happen?
1: Oh, yeah, all the time.
0: Describe that for us.
1: Yeah. So usually about a week to a few days beforehand, people will get this surge of energy sometimes. And a lot of times people will think that someone's getting better. And in reality, they will have a little surge of energy and then they will quickly start that next decline Process to where they're being, you know, only awake a few hours a day. Um, but some for some people, it's huge, and they're all of a sudden out of bed when they've been bed bound for years. And then other people, it might just mean that they want to sit up and eat some ice cream and talk whenever they've really hmm. just been too tired to be doing that for many months.
0: Go back a second there. People are up and out of bed and around the house. That's that's astounding.
1: It is, and that happens in a small percentage of people, but it's crazy to see whenever you see. I had one patient who was bedbound for about a year, and um, I came in one day, and he was out of bed, and he was um, actually playing hide-and-go-seek with his deceased daughter who died when she was little. Wow. He's in my book.
0: Does anything scare you anymore?
1: (laughs) You know, I wouldn't say it's ever really scary because— I see these patients that, you know, I've gotten to know so well, and I trust them, and they're not scared. So I say, you know what, they're not scared, I'm not scared. Whatever they are going to is obviously peaceful, and I think that that's great. It's definitely caught me off guard quite a few times, though.
0: You know, I'm, I, I'm uncomfortable in those surroundings. It's just, it's uneasy. I don't know what to say. Can you help me through that? What do I say to someone who's in those moments?
1: Yeah, I would, you know, the people who are definitely when you're visiting your loved ones who might be on hospice, a big thing that I see is that people will, they don't want to talk about it. Like you said, they're uncomfortable. So the Mm -hmm. patient might try to talk about their upcoming death and they're like, well, I don't want to think about you dying. And they change the subject, but we should let people talk about it if they want to. And I have heard that from patients where they're like, I feel kind of alone because no one wants to talk about my death with me, and mm-hmm. I really do want to talk about it. And so whenever those con- those uncomfortable conversations do come up, just let them have that space and don't try to change the subject.
0: Lean into the discomfort with yeah. them. Okay. Is there something you think is important for for the patient to hear from, from all of us?
1: A lot of times I'll see patients hold on whenever they're very concerned about... Um, mainly I'll see it, uh, like with the kids, like if they're the last parent alive and all the kids are fighting, um, I'll see them hold on because I think they're concerned about how they'll be. So if you can make amends and just tell your loved one, you know, what, we're going to be okay. I promise, you know, we, we really are going to be okay. Um, I've seen that a lot where people are really worried about dying and leaving someone when they're, when they're not okay
0: so giving giving that patient the permission to let go.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: Yeah. So I'm guessing that a lot of what you do not only supports the patient but everyone else in that household. You're you really are providing care for everyone in that scenario.
1: Yes, absolutely. And that's a big part of what we do and, and why I love hospice nursing.
0: Tell me about that. What do you how can how, what makes it better for me as a family member around my 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 relative who's passing away
1: yeah a lot of it is education since most people don't realize that the caregiver is the main provider of care in the end of life care and a lot of it is you know me explaining this is how you do this um this is what to expect i found it took me a couple of years to understand it because like you said those uncomfortable conversations but most people want to hear what is the worst thing that could possibly happen and be prepared. And they want to know every little thing that's going to come next. And so I'm always preparing them. This is what could happen next. This would be the worst case scenario. And this is what you do.
0: I heard that you have a, you're on a mission. You you have a goal to create a not-for-profit to help, to help caregivers. Tell me about this.
1: Yes. So a big gap that I see here with hospice houses, which they'll pay for up to five days for you to go to what's called a respite care center. The issue is, is that around here, at least, um, that's usually in nursing homes and they don't allow the caregiver to stay. Unfortunately, respite is normally used near the end because that's when symptoms are harder to manage. Caregiving gets harder. And most caregivers will not risk not being there for their loved one Mm -hmm. in their last five days of life. So they just they just don't they just refuse it and they're just completely burned out. So my goal is to open a nonprofit hospice house where caregivers are welcomed. They're given their own bed. They're given a warm meal and they're really taken care of.
0: Make that clear for me. So I'm there with my patient, the hospice patient into this home. And then you're also welcoming in the caregiver to stay with them.
1: Yes. And then my goal is that each patient gets a night where they can invite anyone they want, you know, their family, friends, whoever, sit around a big dining room table. Everyone gets dinner and there's toast to their life like a living funeral mm. um, instead of I, I go to a lot of patient funerals and I always sit there during the eulogies and think my patient would have loved to hear this. that That's really what I want to do.
0: And again, that website she mentioned is HadleyHouse.org. You can visit there to get a better understanding of her special project and sign up for a newsletter. Eventually, she hopes to have Hadley houses all over the country. Hadley has more than 2 million subscribers on TikTok. She has a YouTube channel of her own where she shares more experiences as a hospice nurse. And I'll have links to all of this in the show notes, both on the Health Call website, healthcall.live, and also with the podcast of today's broadcast. It's good to know so many people leave this earth in peace, and it's kind of wild to hear how often a relative comes to guide them. I think that's going to stick with me. Hadley's book, The In-Between, is now available everywhere. We have more just ahead, so I hope you will stay tuned for the second half of the Health Call Radio Hour.